Good morning, church. If you would, grab your Bibles. If you didn't grab your Bible, I know you got a phone. So open your phones up and uh, turn on your Bible app. You're going to want to follow along with me this morning. This is a, this is a uh, sermon today that could, um, it could possibly get confusing if you don't follow along. It could, um, it could really cause you to, to question your salvation, which in one sense is not a bad thing. If we question it the right way and we examine ourselves and we determine uh, whether or not the evidence is there or not. And so, but you're, you're going to need to follow along with me to where you can see exactly what God is telling us this morning as we study. From the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, we're just continuing um, our series on what it means to be born again. I plan on preaching one more sermon after today uh, on this series, and I'm going to end it. I'm going to close the series off. My, my goal was that I really wanted to make sure that you truly understand what it means to be saved. I wanted you to understand because how many of you have, uh, you don't have to raise your hand, but I would say there's probably a bunch of you that have realized that saved as we see it and being born again are two different things. Two completely different things. And so my greatest desire in preaching these uh, series of messages has been that you walk away from here with an absolute understanding I know what it means to be born again. And then ultimately, that you're able to examine yourself and definitively say, yes, I am born again, or no, I failed the test. And so we're going to look at the summary of that because as you all know, that's what Paul has been doing. If you've been here all throughout Ephesians chapter 4, especially beginning after verse 17, what the Apostle Paul has been doing is making sure that this group of Christians understands that if you are truly born again, you cannot and you will not continue walking in sin. Now that does not mean that you won't still have sin in your life, and we'll examine that this morning. But you will not continue to live in and practice sin. It is impossible if God's seed abides in you, if the Spirit of God lives in you, He is working in your heart and He is doing a life-changing work. And if you don't see that taking place, then the evidence is likely proving that you may not have ever been born again. And then we're going to address that this morning as we look at it. But in chapter 5 of Ephesians, we're going to read verses 1 through 14. And I know you've already stood, but one more time, if you have the means and you're able to stand, uh, we would encourage you to do that to give reverence to reading God's Word. If you need to remain seated, that's okay. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. What's the first word? In other words, in light of everything that I've already told you, in light of the fact that if you've truly learned from Jesus, then you need to put off these things that are sinful, and you need to be putting on these things that are Christ-like and godly, and you need to be putting on this new man that's being created in the likeness of God. Any of that ring a bell to you? In light of that, therefore, what we have here is the summary. 
Therefore, here's how I can sum it all up for you. Be imitators of God. Imitate God. As beloved children, because guess what children do? Whether y'all like it or not, they act like who? Now my son got in trouble in Sunday school for throwing something at his teacher, so I don't know what that says about me. But our children do act like us, and that's, that is what they do. So be imitators of God as His beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, no crude joking which are out of place or out of character, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, they have no inheritance in the kingdom of God in Christ. You can be sure of this. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now... You are the light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, guess what happens? It becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead. And what will happen? Christ will shine on you. You can be seated. Y'all pray with me as you're seated. Father, we come to you again because, um, Lord, we have no purpose here if it's not for you and your work that you want to do in us. And so, Father, we come to you to ask you that you would accomplish your purpose for us being here this morning. God, this is your word. Lord, we're sinners, and Lord, we are, we are ultimately hopeless without your redemption, without your salvation. And so, Father, I pray that this morning that you would shine a light on all darkness. Father, I pray that all of our impurity would become visible. Father, I pray that for those that need to to come awake, that need to wake up, Father, I pray, God, that this morning would be the morning that it would happen. Father, for those that, um, Lord, need to rise from the dead, Father, I pray this morning that that would happen, that you would give life to people. And Father, I pray this morning that Christ would shine on all of us. Father, I pray that, um, Lord, we would be able to truly examine ourselves and make sure, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that we know, that we know, that we know Father, that you are doing a work in our lives and that we can see the evidence that we have been born again. And Father, I just pray this morning that, Lord, that um, you would speak to us. Father, this is your word. This is the way that you speak to us. And Father, I pray that we would hear you speak. Father, and I pray that, that when we leave here, that we would be different because we have been 
in communion with you. And Father, no one can come into your presence without being changed. It is impossible. And so Father, I pray this morning that when we leave, we would see the evidence that we have been with you. We've heard from you and you've done a work in our lives. So Father, help us this morning. We, we rely completely on you. We love you. We praise you. We ask you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I told you before, in Ephesians chapter 4, specifically verse 17 through 32, I believe it is, the Apostle Paul has been calling us to really make sure that we understand that we must no longer walk. When somebody says, you must do something, what does that mean? It's not a choice, right? For a born-again Christian, this is not something that you can look at and say, okay, well, I can be born again and I can be of God and continue to live in my sin and continue to walk like the rest of the world walks. No. We must no longer walk the way the Gentiles walk because they do it in futile minds. They do it in impure hearts. They walk in greed of impurity, just wanting to follow whatever their heart wants. They take no thought or concern to whether or not God is pleased with them or not. Their only concern is, am I violating my standard of right and wrong? Or am I fulfilling my heart's desire? That's the only thing that matters. If it feels good to me and if it's right to me, I'm going to do it. That's the way the world walks. You, on the other hand, are no longer part of that world. You no longer have futile minds. Your mind has been enlightened to understand what sin is and what God actually requires of you. Your heart, if you've been born again, has been changed to be broken for sin, to have a desire to be obedient to God. Now again, still battling with your flesh, yes, but you hate the sin that is in your life with everything in you. You hate it. You have been given a new way of life to follow by learning from Jesus Christ. And now, if the evidence of being born again is there, you will see it because you will be putting off the sin that you hate, fighting and making war with the sin that you hate, and putting on the new man that's being created in the likeness of God. And if you don't see that taking place in your life, if all you see is all you care about is following the course of this world, greedy for whatever your heart desires, and that's what you chase, I'm telling you this morning, not from me, from the Word of God, the evidence that you have been born again is not there. Now that's the reason I said you're going to want to follow along with me. Because I don't want you to hear me just saying that. I want you to hear what the Word of God says. Listen to what he says in chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, here's the summary. So if I'm outlining this, and I do outline when I study, the first thing I write down there is verses 1 through 4 are the summary of everything he's just said. Now he's just going to sum it all up. He's been saying put off lying, put off stealing, put off greed, put off... Uh, being lazy, put off being unkind and unforgiving, and put on all of these. Now, instead of being so specific, he's going to give you a summary. And so what he says here is, therefore, here's what I want you to do. Imitate God. As beloved children, imitate God. 
If you will just imitate God and do what God does and love like God loves, then you will be His beloved children. And so in verse 2, he gives the summary and he says, here's the first thing that you do. The way you imitate God is by doing what? Walk in love. You can sum up all these other things that you saw up here of being kind to one another, tender-hearted, putting on forgiveness toward one another, um, helping, being a giver, being a truth speaker. You can sum all of that up by simply saying, Church, walk in love toward one another. And if you will walk in love toward one another, you won't lie to each other. You won't steal from each other. You won't be lazy and try to take advantage of other people. You won't be unforgiving, unkind. You will be all the things that God is toward us in Christ Jesus. So walk in love. And then he tells us what that looks like. As Christ loved us. In other words, keep learning from Jesus the way that He loves you. Keep learning from Jesus the way that He treats you. Does Jesus lie to you? Does Jesus steal from you? Does, is Jesus greedy for impurity? Is Jesus unforgiving? Is Jesus hard-hearted? Jesus is none of these things toward you. And so now you learn from Him and you put it on and you walk in love the way that Christ loved you. So again, the summary here. Next, and gave Himself up for us. In other words, there was nothing selfish about Jesus, right? He laid all of His desire, all of the, the desire of His heart. He even laid aside the, uh, the, the... He didn't lay aside the deity, but He lay aside the... Uh, even though He was equal with God, He humbled Himself to the point of He became a servant to all, even to being obedient unto the death on the cross. And so what we see in this is that if we're going to walk in love, then we're going to lay aside all of our selfishness, all of our, um, uh, our hurts and our offenses, and instead we're going to be kind. We're going to be tender-hearted. We're going to be loving. We're going to be forgiving. We're going to walk in love toward one another the same way that Jesus did. So that's the summary of what you're going to put on. Put on love and you've got it. Alright? It's the summary. If you want the specifics, go back to Ephesians 4. Next, he says, in, um, and he says, this is a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. In other words, if you really want to give an offering to God that God smells it and goes, that's great. This is the kind of life that you live that when God looks at you, He is well pleased with what He sees. This is the kind of sacrifice. If you want to give a sacrifice to God that God says, I'm pleased with that. This is what it looks like. Walk in love, imitate Him in Christ Jesus, and you've got it. You've got it. Now, he says in verse 3 through 4, but sexual immorality... And all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. So here's what he says next. So the first two verses was the summary of here's what you put on. Verses 3 and 4 are the summary of here's what you put off. And he begins with sexual immorality because this is a major issue in their time, which it is in our time as well, correct? But in their time... Actually, 
Prostitution was legal. Actually, part of their worship was sexual immorality. That's the way the priests in Ephesus, or the priestesses, I guess you could say, in Ephesus, worshipped in the temple. They dedicated their lives to the temple of Diana, which was the god of fertility. And so this was a major thing in Ephesus. And so Paul comes in and says, guys, you've got to put off sexual immorality. In other words, you could go back and you could study the Greek on this, and the actual word that we can find in which we translate sexual immorality is pornea. Pornea. You know why we call it porn today? Because it represents, it encompasses all sexual immorality. No matter what area you want to look at, porn encompasses all areas of sexual immorality. And so when we read this and he says, but pornea must not even be mentioned among you. He's saying not even a mention of sexual immorality ought to be among you guys. And then he sums it up and he says, and all impurity. So in other words, I'm not just talking about lying, I'm not just talking about stealing, I'm not just talking about laziness, I'm not just talking about unforgiveness, unkindness. I'm talking about now I'm going to sum this thing up. All impurity. All impurity must not even be named among you. Why? Because what is proper for the saints being holy? What is proper for the saints is putting on love, imitating God, walking in an unselfish lifestyle toward others, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. That is proper. But anything that is impure... Is that proper for a saint? No, not at all. And so what we see here is that the summary is you have to put this stuff off because it's not proper for somebody that says they've been born again. Right? You're walking around here claiming, you're saying, I'm a Christian, I'm born again, I'm a believer. And yet what does your life say? Does it say this is proper living for a Christian? And so he says here, Put it away. Don't even let it be a mention among you. Now think about it. Paul started this thing off in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, and he said, You must no longer walk this way. You must. And then he comes over here and he says, There must not even be a mention. It must not even be named among you. Paul's pretty adamant here about our war on sin, right? All right, now keep tracking with me. And so he says next, in verse 4, he's still summing up what we're putting off. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, no crow joking. Why, Paul? It's out of place. It's out of character. That's not imitating God, is it? That's not a beloved child of God. And so it don't even need to be mentioned. We must put these things off. And then he goes on, but instead let there be thanksgiving. That's what is in character for a child of God. These are the things that are in character for a child of God. Verse 5, and this is where we get into the motivation. Because I want you to think about it. And I, I'm going to beat this horse to death this morning. <laughs> That's right. You must no longer walk like the Gentiles and the rest of the world. You must. You can't. You must not even have a mention 
of anything impure. You must. Why? Because you're born again. Because you are imitating God. Because it's out of character for you to have these things in your life. Now Paul is very adamant about this, right? So what do you think the question would be from one of these Ephesians? Why is it such a big deal, Paul? We're saved by grace. You just told us in Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace we are saved, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So Paul, why so adamant about not even a mention of it? Well, let's answer the question. What's our motivation for putting this stuff up, for putting this stuff off? Verse 5, For you may be sure of this. What does that mean? You can count on it. You can count on this. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexual immoral, or what? Impure. He sums it all up. Everyone who is sexual immoral or impure, or who is covetous. And then he sums that up by saying, that is an idolater. You know what an idolater is? It's when you put, when your heart's desire is to worship anything else in this world except God. So he sums up all of your desire for worldly things by saying covetousness. Just that simple. Covetousness. And he says you can be sure that anybody that is any of these things has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So here's the way that I would put this. Everyone who practices... And the reason I'm using this word practice, you'll see here in just a few moments. But everyone who practices a life of improper, born-again living, everyone who practices a life that is out of character from a person who has learned from Jesus, who's heard the gospel, who's repented of their sins, everybody who is not actively in their life putting off sin and putting on, if you can't see the war in your life of you putting sin off and putting on the things of Jesus Christ, if you cannot see that, you can be sure of this. You will not inherit the kingdom of God in Christ. Now that's hard, ain't it? That's tough. But are these my words? Is this Kevin Wells talking to you this morning? That's the reason why I want you in your Bible. I want you reading it for yourself. This is what God Almighty says to me this morning. This is a reminder to me. And this is what God Almighty says to you this morning. So let's keep going. So what is the motivation, Paul? Well, you can be sure of this. There's not going to be an inheritance for people who practice this. John explains it well in 1 John chapter 3, verse 4 through 10. If you'll look at that with me. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4 through 10. He sums it up for us, and here's the way he puts it. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. In other words, he's not practicing godliness. <laughs> His heart is still chasing the world the desires of his heart. Sin is lawlessness. And you know that he appeared in order to do what? To take away sins. He didn't come here for us to continue living in sin. He came here to shine the light on our sin so that we can by his power put to death sin and walk 
in His light. I'm going to keep reading, but you might remember in John chapter 3, verse um, 19, I think it is, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, He told him, He said, This is the judgment that is coming on the world. Light has come into the world, and men love darkness more than light, because their deeds were evil. In other words, God shined the light on it, you saw the truth, but instead of following the light, following the truth, you kept practicing evil. That's the condemnation that's coming on the world. Light came in, and instead of loving the light, you love the darkness more. That's the condemnation. So look at um, verse 5 again. You know that He appeared in order to take away sins. And in Him there is no sin. No one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. Now again, He's not talking about, he's not talking about our, our war with sin. If He were, He wouldn't have told us in 1 John chapter, two, or chapter 1, He wouldn't have said, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. But if we confess our sin... He is faithful and He is just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. So He's not saying here that a true Christian never sins. He's saying they don't practice sin. Whenever sin becomes present in their life, you know what they do? They repent. God, I'm sorry for my sin. I put it away and I put on following You. So no one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or known Him. That's tough, ain't it? Guys, this is the truth. You want to you hear a feel-good message? You're in the wrong place. <laughs> I ain't that guy. I ain't that guy. I'll empty these pews in a minute. <laughs> I'll be okay with it. This is just simply what the truth of God's Word says. And it said to me too. Verse 7, Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to do what? Verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Why? For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's what? You remember when you're born again, God gives you a new mind. When you're born again, God gives you a new heart. When you're born again, God puts his spirit in you. And there is a war that begins with sin. And no one that has been born of God can make a practice of a lifestyle of sin because the Holy Spirit is eating you up. He's wearing you out. Verse 10. By this it is what? Here's the evidence. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Can, can it be put any plainer than that? This is a call from Paul and from the Word of God to examine ourselves and make sure that we understand that you can be sure of this. You can be sure of it. No one who practices impurity in their life is going to inherit the kingdom of God and Christ. 
Now that ought to have some of us trembling right now. But let me tell you the good news. The good news is if you're trembling, that's God and the Holy Spirit working on you right now saying you've got a chance to turn it around. You've got a chance to prove and make evident who you belong to. Are you a beloved child of God that wants to imitate and live for God in Christ? Or are you... And you can determine that by how you respond to when God speaks to you about sin in your life. Y'all tracking with me? So yes, is this, is this message meant for us to question our salvation? You better believe it's meant for us to question our salvation. That's exactly what Paul's doing here. But it's also meant to bring encouragement to us to understand that we, when God shines the light on our sin, when it is made evident, the call, and you'll see the invitation at the end, Wake up, O sleeper! Arise from the dead, and guess what Christ will do? He will shine on you. He will shine on you. So keep going with me. So the first thing that you need to understand about this is that you can be sure that everyone practicing an improper, out-of-character life has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. You can be sure of that. Here's the second motivation for you to put off sin and put on the ways of God. The second motivation comes from verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Here's the second motivation that Paul gives. First, you can be sure you got no inheritance in the kingdom of God. That's the first thing. The second thing, for all the sons of disobedience, the wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God is coming. Now again, that ought to scare you. But if it don't, let me explain to you what that means. Jesus described the final wrath of God as indescribable pain. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 41 through 42, He describes it as a fiery furnace where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth because of the torment that they experienced there. The Son of Man will send His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and they will throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know why people gnash their teeth and why they weep? Indescribable pain. That's what is coming in the final wrath of God for all the sons of disobedience. Matthew chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus describes it as a place of absolute outer darkness. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown, and talking about the kingdom of darkness, will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing teeth. Outer darkness. You know what outer darkness is? Beyond darkness. In other words, this is a place that it is like being totally blind forever. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 51, Jesus describes the final wrath of God as like being cut into pieces. 
and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's literally like being cut and hacked into pieces for all eternity. In Mark chapter 9, verse 48, Jesus describes it as a place where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And let me explain that to you. Jesus is standing in front of a place they called uh, Gehenna, I believe is how you pronounce it. It was the, the city dump for outside of Jerusalem. It began by the old kings in the old days when they were worshiping a false god and they sacrificed their children to this god. They took them to this valley and the priests of that false god would put them to death, the children. You can find that in 2 Chronicles, you can find it in the Kings, you can find it in Jeremiah, there's several places you can see that. But that's where it began. Over time it began the place that when people were killed or when people were, uh, were crucified by the Romans or whatever, that was the place where all of the criminals and the dead were thrown and that's where their bodies were burned. It, over time later it became a place to where it became the city dump so that everybody brought their garbage and this place burned constantly. It never quit burning. There was always garbage. There was always bodies being thrown in. It was a, it was a hellish place. And Jesus used this place as an example so that whenever they looked out there, guess what you see in a dead body? At least in that fire, guess what eventually happened to that body and to those worms that are eating them? But here is the way he describes the final wrath of God. He says, this is the place that when people go there, their worm does not die. In other words, this is a place where it is like we're being eaten by worms forever. And it never stops. It is a place where the fire burns and it is never quenched. And you want to know what the worst thing about this final wrath of God to me is? In Luke chapter, um, Luke chapter 16, verse 27 through 29. This is the story of the rich man and Lazarus. You remember Jesus telling his story. He said the rich man went to heaven and Lazarus went to hell, right? <coughs> Excuse me. This is, the, this is the rich man in hell. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, send him, talking about Lazarus, he was looking over there, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. You want to know what one of the worst things to me about the final wrath of God is? When you're there, you're going to know, I didn't have to come here. I didn't have to be here. Send somebody to tell them you don't have to come, right? Is that not what he's saying? Tell them you don't have to come. That's one of the most tormenting things about the final wrath of God that comes on the sons of disobedience. When we're there experiencing this eternal torment, we know because we remember hearing the gospel. I didn't have to go. I didn't have to be here. That is one of the worst things I can imagine of sitting in there experiencing that kind of torment and that come into your mind. 
So next, in verse 6 through 11, we get into the commands. So first we had the summary. Next we had the motivation for why this is important, why this is vital. And now we have the commands because here's the question we got to answer. Paul, what do we do? Wouldn't you imagine there's a few people listening to this right now going, what do I do? What do we do, Paul? Well, again, he said the first thing in verse 6. Notice what he said in verse 6 again. Let no one what? Deceive you. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Do you know how many people are telling the world today that you can be sexually immoral and be a Christian? Do you know how many churches we have with pastors that are sexually immoral? Let me tell you, many people today are being deceived with empty words. You can keep living in your sin. Don't worry about your sin. Listen, God is loving. God is forgiving. God would never a loving God would never send someone to hell. Right? Let no one deceive you with empty words. You better find you another preacher. You better find you another church. Many people today are being deceived just like they were back then. And Paul wants to make sure that at least this congregation is not going to be deceived. Because he steps in and he says, here's the truth. There's all kinds that are deceived by empty words, vain words, useless words, itching ears, preachers telling them what they want to hear. Don't let nobody deceive you with empty words. For you can be sure of this. And the wrath of God is coming because of this. So don't let no one deceive you with the empty words. That's the first thing that you do. The next thing that you have to do comes from verse 7. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness. We're not taken out of the fact that at one time we were all sexually immoral, liars, thieves, um, you name it. At one time, you were those things. But if you have born again, been born again, look what he says. But now you are light in the Lord. So here's the command that you must follow, guys. Don't be partners with people's sin. Don't join them in their sin. You are called to come out from among them and be separate. I'm not telling you that we have no fellowship with sinners. I'm not telling you Jesus sat down and ate with sinners. But let me tell you, Jesus did not sin with sinners. We are the light of the world. When the people look at us, they need to be able to see Christ. When the people see you, they need to be able to see a child of God. A chip off the old block. Someone that follows the example of their father. And so don't become partakers of them. Verse 7. Verse 8 is the next command that he gives us. In verse 8 he says, um, For at one time you were darkness, but now are light in the Lord. So, here's the next command. Walk as what? Children of light. Walk this way. Remember, he started off this thing in Ephesians 4.17 by saying, You must no longer walk. But now I'm telling you, you need to walk like children of light. This is important because repentance and turning away from your sin is not, much, not something that's taught much in the church anymore today. 
a matter of fact, I would be bold enough to say 75% or more of your churches in today's society probably will not teach repentance and turning away from sin. Instead, they'll teach you, God's not angry with you, no matter what. No matter what. God is love. Is that true? Well, yeah, God is love. That's true. But you know what else is true? God is also justice. God is also angry. And God is also wrathful. And the wrath of God is coming. So walk like children of light. And then in verse 10, we go to the, the last command that He gives us. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So walk in the light. In other words, walk in everything that you know is good and right. And then in all the rest of your walk, try to discern what is pleasing to God. Try to make sure that before you just do something and make a decision and act a certain way, you ask yourself the question, is this something that is going to be pleasing to God? Is this something that is going to look like a child of God? If I act this way, if I dress this way, are people going to look at me and say, that's a child of God? Right? Try to discern what is pleasing. Now remember, earlier he told us as we're putting these things off and putting these things on, he said, don't quench and don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So one of the ways we discern what is pleasing unto God is by reminding ourselves that He has put His Spirit inside of us. And we ought to listen to Him. There ought to be something inside of you. There ought to be a bell going off saying, Warning, warning, warning. This is probably not pleasing to God. And we're discerning. We're trying to discern. And so another thing is, He told us that you didn't learn these other ways from Jesus if in fact you have learned the truth from Jesus. So there again, there are two ways that we discern what is pleasing to God. First, the Holy Spirit. Second, because He's teaching us just like He is today about the way Jesus walked. How to imitate Jesus. How to imitate God. And so we learn and we listen and we put off the things that we learn don't belong. We put on the things that we learn do belong. And then finally, <clears throat> here's the closing. Paul, <laughs> what do I do if my darkness has been exposed through this letter? What do I do if after I've examined myself, I understand I'm out of character, I'm improper in my life? What do I do, Paul? Am I just hopeless? Is, is, is God just going to leave me here? Is there no hope for me? Anybody in here ever felt like there's no hope for you? Paul said, I'm the chiefest of sinners. In other words, if there's hope for me, there's hope for you. And so ultimately, look what he says next in verse 13. Or actually, let's just start in verse uh, 11. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. How do we expose something that's dark? We shine a light on it, right? For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret, but... When anything is exposed by the light, and the light is Christ, His Word, the Gospel, our sin, when anything is exposed by the light, guess what happens? It becomes visible. You can see it. If this morning you see your sin, 
If this morning the light has been shone on it and the sin has been exposed, then here's what you can do. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, here's the invitation guys, this is what the Word of God says, Awake, O sleeper. (laughs) Wake up, guys. Wake up. That's the first thing. And next, rise up from the dead. You've heard the Word of God. And guess what the Word of God does when it's spoken to something? It gives life. When God said, let there be light, what happened? When God said, let the earth bring forth an abundance, what happened? When the Word of God is spoken, whenever God told Ezekiel in the valley of the dry bones, He said, hey, son of man, can these bones live? They were very dry, just bones. Very dry bones. Can these bones live? Ezekiel said, God, only you know whether or not them bones can live. Ezekiel, I'll tell you what I want you to do. Speak the Word of the Lord to them. Say to these bones, O bones, hear the Word of the Lord. I will cause breath to enter you. I will cause flesh to grow up around you. I will cause joints and sinews to come together and you shall become alive. And you know what Ezekiel said he saw next when he spoke the word to these bones? An exceedingly great army rose up out of dry bones. The good news is this, is when the word of God is spoke to you, the light shines on it. You have a choice to make. You can either continue to live in your darkness or you can say, God, thank you for shining light on my sin. I'm getting up from my sleep. I'm rising up from the dead. I am following you and I'm trusting in your, in your gospel that you've given us in Christ Jesus. You remember whenever um, um, Peter was preaching uh, in Pentecost? And the Bible says when he got done preaching, he had told them all about their sin, told them all about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and and, and their need to trust in it. And they get to the end of it and they said, what must we do? Peter said, repent, be baptized, follow Him. Ultimately, what I'm telling you today is basically the same thing. You've heard the word and the question is, what do I do? Repent. That's what it means to wake up from your sleep. It means that you've had a change of mind from where you were to where you need to be. And I am going to repent. I'm going to turn around. I'm going to trust in Him for my forgiveness. He has shown His light. He's told me He would forgive me. He's told me He would lead me. He's told me He would guide me. He's told me He would give me life. I believe it. You believe the gospel and you repent and you turn away from your sin and you begin to follow Him. That is what it means to rise up from your sleep, to rise up from the dead. And guess what He says? I'll finish it up for me. Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead. And what does God promise He'll do? Christ will shine on you. That's a promise from God. That ain't me. And so... In the same message today, I try to come in here and I try to kill you with one and give you life with the other. I try to kill you so that you understand. You can be sure of this. 
no one practicing a life of sin will inherit the kingdom of God because it proves they're not beloved children, but it makes evident that instead of being children of God, they're children of who? The devil. Because he's been sinning from the beginning. But in the same token, I kill you with that, and he leaves you with hope. Wake up. Wake up. Confess your sin. Repent your sin from your sin. Turn away from your sin. And I promise you, if you believe the gospel, Christ will shine on you. And He'll lead you in new life. But you can be sure of this. There is no one that's going to inherit it that is walking in darkness. You can be sure of this. The wrath of God is coming. And right now, you just get glimpses of the wrath of God here and there. The final wrath that's coming, you don't want no part of. You don't want no part of it. So be warned. And you make the decision what you'll do with it. If y'all would stand this morning. You can let your pride stop you if you want. That's between you and God. Or you can come this morning and say, I want to confess, I want to repent, I want to awake from my sleep, rise from the dead, I want to believe the gospel and I want to follow God. And if you do that, the promise of God is this, He'll shine on you. But if you don't, and you walk away from here knowing that you're in darkness, I promise you today, it may be your last opportunity and you will be like that rich man in hell crying out, Lord, please send somebody to my loved ones. Please tell them they don't have to come. They don't have to come to this place of torment.